3, it's happy hour on the morning after on Sports Grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Here in the final hour of the show, we're going to go through the Major League Baseball card today to give us your our early leans and best bets of the day. We've also got line movement in college football going into week one. And we're going to have Dave Sherapin, the former odds maker himself, joining us. We'll talk about the fight last night, which we have not gotten to yet because I really don't care. And you're going to go to some more uh, baseball insight from him as well and the NFL. But first, we've got to go to our West Coast wake up and we've got Major League Baseball to recap. It wasn't really that this game went late, which usually West Coast baseball games do. Yesterday was a lot of afternoon games, including this one. The Rockies actually upset the Los Angeles Dodgers winning 5 nothing. The Rockies were plus 205 on the money line. This total stays under a total of nine. The Dodgers won 17 of 20 going into this game, and the Dodgers just get their fourth shutout of the season with the Rockies blanking them. Ben, this was a pretty shocking series to watch. And it was an opportunity this weekend for the Dodgers to gain even more ground in the National League West, which has been a division we have been tied into really since the All-Star break, because although the Dodgers are playing some of the best baseball in all of MLB, they are still trailing the Giants in this division. The Giants holding on to the top spot by two and a half games now after the weekend. And I say it was a golden opportunity. It truly was. San Francisco lost their first series since the All-Star break this weekend. The Dodgers were playing the Rockies, the team with one of the worst road records in all of Major League Baseball in Los Angeles, and the Rockies won the series, taking two of three from the Dodgers. On the FanDuel Sportsbook, not much has changed in terms of the odds movement in the National League West. The Dodgers still the odds-on favorite somehow, some way, at minus 155. The Giants, plus 110. Do not forget... These two teams here, the next series they play after the one they are currently in will be against each other up in the Bay Area in San Francisco. That might decide the fate of the National League West because the Dodgers, as they have continued to play really good baseball, at the late part of last week, they had won 15 of their last 17 games and still couldn't catch the Giants. This might be their other golden opportunity, much like they had this weekend against the Rockies. But when you only win in one of the three games of this weekend set, certainly an opportunity squandered by the L.A. Dodgers. The Dodgers and Giants series is going to be must-watch television. I haven't remembered. I can't remember the last time that in Major League Baseball, I've had a division where every time that they face their opponent, whether it's the Dodgers and the Padres, the Dodgers and the Giants, I stay up and watch these games, not until 3 in the morning. Thank you very much, 16-inning game. I try my best to stay up till about 1 a.m. Eastern time just so I can see the results of these games. This is going to have major implications on the playoffs. If you win your division, you get to play a best of five. When you lose your division but you get the wild card, you're in a winner-take-all situation, which likely will be against your rivals in the division potentially could be the Giants or the Dodgers versus the Padres if it's not the Cincinnati Reds. Now, as Ben mentioned, the Dodgers minus 155. The Giants are at plus 110. I have to give some love to the Rockies here. Although the Rockies are 16-49 and 49 straight up on the road this season, they still ended up taking two out of three from the Dodgers. The Rockies on the run line have been pretty profitable. They're 70 and 60 on the run line this year, Ben, which means for the most part, they're getting that plus one and a half. Welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience, third final hour here on the morning after. Sirius XM Channel 204, the Mightier 1090 on the West Coast. 
with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. The Rockies have been keeping games close enough to be profitable on the run line, Ben, at 70 and 60 overall this year. That's why it's really tough for me to fade Colorado all the time, especially if they're playing at home. I love taking that plus one and a half. On the run line, the Rockies have had some profitability. In fact, the under hits more than you would think at Coors Field because the idea is at altitude, runs are going to be scored in a plentiful fashion. A lot of times you get inflated totals and can look to the Rockies to play an under of a game at Coors Field. I mean, when you're seeing totals at 12 and a half and 13, it makes sense why they are hitting the under. They might score 10 or 11 runs in that game between the two sides, but it would still be under of that total. The Rockies on the road again today in Texas against the Rangers. They are actually the run line favorite at minus one and a half, plus 110 being the price for the Rockies and the Rangers. The Dodgers and the Giants, respectively, in two pretty difficult series here to begin this week. The Dodgers at home against the Atlanta Braves. They are the favorites today with Julio Arias on the bump. He has won, or the Dodgers have won, 19 games. Julio Arias has started this year. That is why they are the favorites against the Atlanta Braves. Of course, Tom Vecchio said he liked a lot of home run props for the L.A. Dodgers right-handed batters against Drew Smiley of the Atlanta Braves tonight. The Giants in another very difficult series against the Milwaukee Brewers. The Giants at home. It's Johnny Cueto for the Giants. The Brewers going with Corbin Burns, who has the second shortest odds right now to win the NL Cy Young. The Brewers a minus-134 road favorite in San Francisco against the Giants today, who are plus 114. The Dodgers at home, a very public team, a very public price. Minus 220 against Drew Smiley in the Atlanta Braves, who don't forget, have a four and a half game lead at the top spot in the NL East. So two very important series getting underway to start this week. And then later in the week, the Giants and the Dodgers in San Francisco. It is going to be much, much watch Major League Baseball television. Atlanta, one of the hotter teams in baseball also. They've won seven of their last ten games, and as Ben mentioned, just took a very big lead of that NFC, uh, that National League East. We're getting to that point in the year where football and baseball just continue to go back and forth in my brain. Coming up next, we're going to talk about football. We've got college football on the slate coming up this week. We've got week one of the college football season beginning, and there has been some line movement We'll tell you why coming up next at Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. On the morning after on Sports Grid, it's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Make sure to check us out on social media. Go to Sports Grid and Sports Grid TV. You can get all the latest from On the Grid, anything that you may have missed, any kind of videos, any kind of analysis. Just go follow us there on Twitter at Sports Grid and Sports Grid TV. Ben, now let's talk some college football week one line movement. First, Alabama Crimson Tide taking on the Miami Hurricanes. Hurricane seems to be a really rough word to use these days, so we'll just keep it to Miami. Alabama goes from minus 16.5 to minus 18.5. Why do you believe there's so much movement in favor of Alabama? 
Because it's the Alabama Crimson Tide. And when you have won the national championship and you consistently are at the top of the AP pool, and although you are breaking in a new quarterback, a newish running back, new wide receivers with a new offensive coordinator, you are still the Alabama Crimson Tide under Nick Saban. This line has actually fluctuated a decent amount. As we are showing there, it opened at 16 and a half. Now is 18 and a half currently where it stands on the FanDuel Sportsbook. As last week, it got all the way up to 19 and a half before coming back down to 18 and a half. Here is the thing about Miami. Everybody loves Miami heading into this year. De'Ara King with Rhett Lashley's offensive system and everything that the Hurricanes present coming into 2021 is going to be an intriguing thing. So that's why I think you have seen so much fluctuation around this number. But even if Miami is competitive, there is still a chance Alabama wins this game by three touchdowns. Now, Miami has a team win total of nine and a half. The under has the juice at minus 145. Miami is tied with North Carolina for the shortest odds to win the ACC Coastal Division at plus 125. But we are talking about a team in Miami that with their quarterback, De'Ara King, coming back from a significant knee injury, week number one in a neutral site game against Alabama, I'm not sure how you can fade the tide even on this number. I know Alabama is bringing in a new quarterback in Bryce Young. I know that they have a new offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien. I get all of that, but it is still Alabama. So although Miami is going to be a trendy underdog pick, you will see throughout this week because of how big this spread is. And although Miami has been a team highlighted throughout this offseason as a team that can certainly win the ACC Coastal and maybe even just maybe challenge Clemson in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And even though De'Ara King has been a very trendy Heisman pick, at 16 to 1 to win the Heisman Trophy when all is said and done. It's very hard for me to look against Alabama, even on this number against the spread here. And we have seen it work in Alabama's favor. Ariel, I think there's a strong reason for that. Alabama's also been so good when playing in those opening games. They've won 19 of their last season openers. It's not just about, of course, winning the game. You have to cover this spread of 18 and a half in a neutral location. Do you like the game that I'm playing that we can't mention, the word hurricane? Do you like this game? Because I find games to be fun when people don't really pick up on them. No, you don't like it? I, I think it's fun. Not okay. necessarily. Um, but... <laughs> There's another game that I want to talk about, and it's a, it's very strange because we saw this line come off the board, and I don't really know why, but you kind of give a good reason as to why. LSU and UCLA. UCLA just picked up their win over Hawaii over the weekend in week 0, 44 to 10. LSU was minus 4.5 in the game. It moved to minus 3.5. Now the lines are locked on FanDuel. How come you believe these lines are locked, Ben? I really wanted to see what the line would be for this game. On Saturday, I was hosting in-game live from this very position with Joe Ranieri. And as we're walking, watching UCLA just full-out dominate Hawaii in that Week 0 opener, I said, Joe, the line for UCLA-LSU was 4.5 yesterday. 4.5 on Friday obviously was taken down as UCLA was in action. I was going to be very interested to see what this line popped back up as on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Late last night, it was three and a half again. It opened at three and a half, went up to four and a half in favor of LSU. Now back down to three and a half, now currently locked once again on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The AP puts out a new poll every Monday. I wonder if they're waiting to see, the FanDuel Sportsbook that is, where the AP poll has UCLA. Maybe a team that's receiving votes. Maybe even a team that has broken into the top 25. So I think they're waiting to see 
What is happening with UCLA from a national stage perspective before posting that line once again? LSU on the road, traveling to the West Coast in the Rose Bowl on Saturday. UCLA looked dominant, and I mean dominant on the ground. LSU defensively last year was awful. I mean, really, really bad. Bo Pelini, the former Nebraska head coach, was the defensive coordinator for the Tigers last year. He is no longer in Baton Rouge. And LSU got ran over, thrown over. I mean, it was a terrible defense. They should be a lot better this year in 2021. I think you might be getting a better number on LSU when this game opens up once again. I don't mind the Tigers being favored by three and a half. Although it is past that key number of three, I still think you can find some value on the Tigers. Maybe you wait, though, Ariel, until we get to closer on Saturday's kick between the Tigers and the Bruins, and it might work past that key number of three or maybe at three by the time we get to kickoff on Saturday between UCLA and LSU. It will be a line I follow all throughout the week. I think it's probably one of the more intriguing spreads you will see for week one of college football. LSU's head coach at Orgeron has been profitable when opening up the season on the road. He's 14-6 and six against the spread. Now, since 2004, LSU has faced opponents inside the Pac-12 to open up their season. They're 4-0 since 2004 when opening up against the Pac-12. However, 2-2 two and two against the spread. Ben, how much of an advantage does UCLA have because they've already played? I think they do. And I think one of the biggest questions about Chip Kelly and his offense entering this year would, can they have success? Now, Hawaii's defense is not great by any means. But Todd Graham, Hawaii's head coach, is a defensive-minded coach. I expected a little bit better of an effort out of Hawaii, a team a ton of people picked to cover that 17.5-point margin against UCLA on Saturday. It did not happen. UCLA ran for over 240 rushing yards as a team, scoring four touchdowns on the ground. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, outside of the first series of the second half for the Bruins, was not great. So I think he was able to work through a couple of those early season issues and find a little bit of his uh, stride heading into week number one now against LSU. I think playing was a benefit. I think UCLA looked good, felt good, and now they take that momentum into LSU week number one. They didn't have to play a lot of their starters deep into that second half, Ariel. I'm not worried about any injury bangs they might have had in that week zero matchup against Hawaii. I think they come in fresh. I think they come in feeling really good against this LSU team at the Rose Bowl on Saturday. But from a talent perspective, I think LSU has a bounce back year, ranked 16th in the country. I would still lean the Tigers on what I expect this to be a better number heading into this weekend now on LSU. Going into the ACC, North Carolina facing Virginia Tech. The line moved from UNC minus six and a half against North Carolina to minus five and a half. For a team that's favored to win their conference, Ben, uh, well, their division, aside for Clemson, of course, but UNC picked to finish the second best team in the ACC. How come the line's moving against them week one? It's very, very interesting. I would love to know where the public money is going and where the sharp money might be going on this game. Listen, playing in Blacksburg is never easy, where Virginia Tech plays their home games. Enter Sandman gives chills through all of ACC opponents when it comes to college football. But this Virginia Tech team, I'm not sure, can, concert, can certainly compete with North Carolina. And so for the spread to come down in favor of Virginia Tech to become a shorter number on UNC is interesting. Let's look at these two teams. The Tar Heels team win total is 9.5. 
the over has the juice at minus 125. UNC has the uh, shortest odds to win the ACC Coastal, tied with Miami there at plus 125. Virginia Tech's team in one total is 7.5, and, and the under has the heavy juice. So when you put those two teams in comparison, obviously the favor is to the Tar Heels. 5.5 seems to be a shorter number now. I'm not entirely sure why that line has moved, but I think you're getting a better spot on North Carolina. If I was going to jump in, it would be at this five and a half now for the Tar Heels against the Hokies. Ooh, okay. Tar Heels against the Hokies going against the line movement, Ben Stevens. Coming up next, Major League Baseball. It's on the slate today, and we've got some strikeout props to get to, plus some early leans. You're listening here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We'll be back to continue our final hour here on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com Welcome back to the morning after on Sports Grid. It's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We're going to the Major League Baseball board, which means we're going to the props. It's time for Cape Props. My favorite strikeout prop of the day is going to the Arizona Diamondbacks left-hander Tyler Gilbert. His strikeout prop is four and a half with it juiced heavily-ish to the under at minus 140. However, my threshold for juice is 150. I'm willing to do this minus 140. I think four and a half is a good number. San Diego has the fourth lowest strikeout rate in baseball, the ninth lowest against left-handers, and the second lowest when playing on the road. Arizona's lefty in Gilbert. He is averaging just over two strikeouts per game when facing a team in a bottom 10 K rate against left-handed pitchers. With that said, he's only gone over this number of four and a half one time all season. I'm taking an under for Tyler Gilbert's four and a half strikeout prop on FanDuel, Ben. Where are you going? An under for Tyler Gilbert. I look and I'm not entirely sure what I want to do right now for an over or an under with Robbie Ray of the Toronto Blue Jays against the Baltimore Orioles today. When you look at Robbie Ray and you look at Baltimore, the Orioles have the 18th highest strikeout rate against left-handed pitchers all year long at 22.2%. It has stayed around 22% really since the All-Star break and in the last two weeks. But in the last two weeks, it is now top 10 in all of Major League Baseball, the ninth highest strikeout rate at 22.1%. Robbie Ray has had eight or more strikeouts in his last three starts. Three starts ago, eight versus Seattle. Two starts ago, 11 versus Detroit. One start ago, his most recent outing, 14, of course, against the Chicago White Sox, who, for the good majority of the year, did not strike out a ton against left-handed pitching. So he has gone over this number of eight and a half, where it's posted on the FanDuel Sportsbook in two of his last three starts. 
So here's what I'm thinking. Not sure if I want to go over or under on the K prop. It's minus 102 to the over, more juice to the under at minus 124. Where I think you might be able to find some value is what we love to do, the player performance doubles on Robbie Ray. Eight or more strikeouts, so you're getting a strikeout less pretty much. Eight or more strikeouts and a Toronto win at even money plus 100. That even money for the Toronto win is pretty interesting when you look at the money line of this game and the Toronto Blue Jays are a minus 330 favorite over the Baltimore Orioles at home. Of course, we are, yes, Toronto's at home. As we know, the Orioles, not a very good team right now. One of the worst teams in all of Major League Baseball, possibly the worst team in all of Major League Baseball. So if you can get Robbie Ray, eight or more strikeouts with the Toronto Blue Jay win at even money plus 100, I don't mind that value right there. His strikeout prop of eight and a half, if you take the over, you want nine strikeouts, of course. That's where I have a little bit more trepidation that he can do that against the Baltimore team that is strike, striking out about 22% of the time all year long for the most part against left-handed pitching. Still not the highest of K rates against lefties or in baseball this year for Baltimore. However, to be able to buy the hook in and also just take a win, I don't mind it. It's just not my favorite K prop of the day, but I do like the play mm. of finding better value and getting the plus money or even whatever it is at. Was it plus 100 or minus 110? Plus 100, even money. Plus 100. Okay, so I don't mind finding the extra edge and buying the hook and taking the win because what do the Orioles have to play for anyway? And plus, they're on the road too. Another strikeout prop that I'm looking at, Houston. They're going up against uh, the Seattle Mariners who have the second highest strikeout rate in baseball this year, the second highest strikeout rate when playing at home. Seattle's at home in this game. Third highest strikeout rate against righties. You've got the righty, Luis Garcia, on the mound for Houston. His prop's at 6.5, over is minus 112. Garcia in games against teams with the top 10K rate against right-handed pitchers is averaging just under seven strikeouts per game. So this K-prop spot on at six and a half because he's averaging 6.7 strikeouts per game against teams with the top 10K rate against righties. He's hit this over in four out of seven of those games against teams with the top 10K rate against righties. If you do want to bet an over for a strikeout prop today, this would be my favorite over of the night would be Luis Garcia for the Houston Astros, Ben. Love Luis Garcia and his strikeout props early this year. He was very consistent around that 6-7-8 number, and the strikeout prop number was too low on Luis Garcia. Do not mind it against the Seattle Mariners, who strike out a ton against both handed pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. Another right-hander I am looking at today, Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers going up against the San Francisco Giants. Now, the Giants are the best team in all of Major League Baseball, but that has not stopped them from striking out a bunch this year. The sixth highest K rate against right-handers all year long at 25%, but it has come down since the All-Star break at only 24.4%. And in the last two weeks, the Giants actually have the 11th lowest strikeout rate against right-handers in all of Major League Baseball at just 21.6%. Now, Corbin Burns has the second shortest odds to win the National League Cy Young right now behind Walker Buehler, who is the odds-on favorite, but Corbin Burns at plus 200, 2-1 to one to win the NL Cy Young. Corbin Burns has not lost a start since May 25th. He has gone unbeaten in three straight months of starting a Major League Baseball game. And Corbin Burns, of course, highlighted all of Major League Baseball about two and a half weeks ago with 15 strikeouts against the Chicago Cubs, tying a Major League Baseball record with 10 straight strikeouts 
in that game against the Cubs. But in the other three starts, three of his last four starts, he has had five Ks or less. Five strikeouts against Cincinnati, three strikeouts against St. Louis, five strikeouts against these very Giants in his first start in the month of August, back on August 6th. So when you look at Corbin Burns' strikeout prop against the Giants today, it's at 7.5. The under has the juice at minus 154. The over is plus money. I thought they might still give you an 8.5. So the 7.5 is not bad at plus 120. It's enticing to me because of the plus money to the over on Corbin Burns against a good Giants team, of course, who has struck out a ton this year, not so much recently in the last two weeks. That recency bias might swayed me off this number, a stay away. I'm not going to take the under with that much more juice, but I do look at the over and the plus money potential on Corbin Burns. Also, Ariel, like we mentioned, this game hugely impactful for the National League West. Also, the NL playoff picture, two of the three shortest odds to win the NL pennant right now between the Giants and the Brewers. We have seen a good amount of movement on this number this morning. The Brewers opened up as a minus 146 favorite when I checked around 8 a.m. Eastern. They are now just minus 134. The Giants, who were a great run line team and have been all year long. The Giants, the best run line record, like you know, Ariel, 79 and 51 on that spread. They are the run line underdog at plus one and a half. The juice earlier, minus 137. It is now juiced to minus 156 if you want the Giants on the run line. So tons of movement on this game between the Giants and Brewers tonight. Yeah. Oh, go shopping because I loved that run line, and I was just going to mention it before you did. San Francisco 8-4, and which is at 67% on the run line when booked as a home dog. Granted, it's not a huge sample size. They have been more profitable, though. Milwaukee, they've been profitable also if they're a run line favorite on the road, 23-19 and at 55%. Yet, look at that. More profitability on San Francisco. I love taking a plus one and a half for a home dog, especially for a team like San Francisco, who's been profitable to it, not just as a home dog this year, but just all around. They have been able to stay in games and have constantly been underbooked. It has moved significantly in uh, San Francisco's favor. Maybe you even buy into Johnny Cueto and take a sprinkle on the run line in that game. Another side I'm going to take is on a first five total. I really like this first five under four and a half runs in Philadelphia and Washington's game tonight. Uh, You've got Zach Wheeler on the mound for Philly, and with Wheeler on the mound against Washington, if there's a first five total of four and a half it's 0-5 to the under when Wheeler's pitched in this series also he's averaging just about one run per first five innings uh, against Washington this year Wheeler Josiah Gray is an underrated pitcher too I've loved looking at Josiah Gray games when he's pitched for the Nationals this year he just came over from the Dodgers he's pitched about five games for the Nationals so far allowing an average of just over one run per first five innings in his five starts as a Washington National I'm gonna say first five under four and a half runs for this one Ben I like it I like the thought there with Josiah Gray who was one of the top prospects in the Dodgers farm system for a while part of that trade of course that sent Max Scherzer and Trey Turner over to the L.A. Dodgers at the trade deadline. I'm looking at a total, a team total, for the Cincinnati Reds against the St. Louis Cardinals today. This is a wild series that has huge ramifications for the National League playoff picture. The Reds are in that second and final NL wildcard spot at the moment with a one-and-a-half game lead over the San Diego Padres, a three-and-a-half game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals. If the Cardinals want to stay alive in the NL playoff picture, they need 
to win this series against the Reds. The two pitchers for today's game, Luis Castillo for Cincy, who has been a lot better here as of late, and John Lester for the St. Louis Cardinals. They are playing in Cincinnati, the home to the fifth most overs in all of Major League Baseball. That over percentage for Cincy at home this year, more than 56%. Cincy has been one of the better offenses since the All-Star break with guys like Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos, and of course, Joey Votto getting very, very hot. And when you look at John Lester, his home road splits are not great when he's on the road. 6.15 ERA on the road this year. 1-5, the win-loss record in away games for John Lester so far this season. The team total for the Reds is 5.5. I have a lean for that for Cincinnati to look to the over. 5.5 is a little bit loftier than you might see around some team totals in Major League Baseball, but I don't mind it. 5.5 on the Reds against the Cardinals today. A game that is just going to be very, very important for the National League Central and the National League wildcard picture for sure, Ariel. Also, one more note. The New York Yankees are on the road at the Los Angeles Angels. The Angels starter is to be determined on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The total is up, and it's nine. The Angels are the most profitable home team to the over this year, cashing in at just about 63.5%. Keep that in mind. Maybe a Yankees and Angels over nine today. Coming up next, former odds maker Dave Sherapin joining the show. Stay on the grid. Fun fact. Even if sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com On the morning after on Sports Grid, it's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We mentioned this stat earlier in the show in our buy or sell segment. There was a stat that ESPN gave out that's really, really interesting regarding player uh, teams that don't perform well in the preseason versus teams that then go into week one of the NFL season with that kind of translating over. For example, you've got in the last 20 years, Teams that are winless in the preseason, they go 12-27-1 straight up and 11-27-2 against the spread week one. Here are the teams that have been winless in the preseason for the NFL. Philly, New York Giants, Dallas, Minnesota, Detroit, Green Bay, Atlanta, Los Angeles Rams. Ben, out of those teams listed, which team would you say, hey, I could see them not covering and potentially even losing week one? I think you might be able to look at the first game of the NFL regular season in the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys plus seven and a half against the reigning Super Bowl champions in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, the Cowboys didn't just lose three preseason games. They lost four. They played in the Hall of Fame game and looked terrible. And I know Dak Prescott did not play a bunch this preseason at all. Zeke Elliott did not play a bunch. I know Amari Cooper was dealing with some stuff. CeeDee Lamb as well. But that kind of scares me a little bit as you get into the regular season because how is that congruency going to look for this offense that people expect a ton of and a defense that might not carry their weight just as much? Now, the Bucks have looked pretty good this preseason, and Tom Brady, with a perfect 7-for-7 seven seven touchdown drive in his only possession this preseason, still bring back so much returning production. 
all three of their main coaches and head coach Bruce Arians, defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, and offensive coordinator Byron, Byron Leftwich, that I think this Bucks team is looking very likely. Now, that's a big number, seven and a half for a week one game in the NFL regular season with a Cowboys team who is favored to win the NFC East. Now, the NFC East is not going to be a top-notch division, we all expect, but still the best team in a bad division against one of the best teams in all of football. And you're seeing a number past that key number of seven at seven and a half. So I think Tampa wins that game. Can they cover a seven and a half point spread? Maybe based on some of this momentum and the very strong trends that Ariel highlighted right there, that might be an area I look even more and dive even more into my handicap than I would have otherwise. Another very intriguing game for me is a battle of two teams that I don't expect to be all that good this year in the Eagles and the Falcons. The Eagles looked really bad this preseason. I mean, it was not good. There were some questions around Jalen Hurts coming in to this preseason games, and then for him to have that late scratch of the Week 2 game against the Patriots where he was dealing with some stomach issues. Then, of course, Philadelphia making some headlines on Saturday, trading for Gardner Minshew. Some more questions around that quarterback spot for the Eagles. They are a three-and-a-half-point road underdog week number one against the Atlanta Falcons. I'm not super high in Atlanta. First-year head coach in Arthur Smith. They have played in so many one-possession games over the last couple of seasons. You would think at a certain point that luck would have to be on their side. Of course, the very talented tight end and rookie in Kyle Pitts being added to that Atlanta offense. I'm still a little bit wary of how good the Falcons are going to be this year, but based on that stat, based on the trend, and based on what my eyeball saw of Philly this preseason, that could be another area I look to fade a plus-money underdog team at plus three-and-a-half for Philly week one against the Falcons. I'm trying to look through this poll. Oh, here it is. Okay, so on Instagram, I tweeted out a poll about Gardner Minshew, and I love that you just brought this up because we haven't touched on it yet, that Gardner Minshew is going over to Philly. Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback probably in Philadelphia. However, my question in the poll was, will Gardner Minshew get starting time in Philly this year? 53% said yes, 47% said no. Ben, it's pretty close. How much could you see Jalen Hurts, especially behind a tough offensive line in Philly, the one of the most banged up last year, how much could you see Gardner Minshew potentially getting some time down the stretch? Well, I think it could be a question of injury. If it's pure performance, I really hope not. I still think Jalen Hurts is good. I think he can play at this NFL level. I think in Nick Sirianni's offense, hopefully they find an area to carve out a niche for Jalen Hurts and he can expand and be that true dual threat that he is. If Gardner Minshew plays, that means Jalen Hurts is certainly not your guy. But if you're a Philly fan, Gardner Minshew, not also your guy to be the face of your franchise moving on beyond that. So... I wouldn't have a lot of hope if you're Philadelphia. I don't think you want Gardner Minshew to play. And 53% of that poll saying he will, not a great sign for the Eagles in their outlook for this 2021 season. You know, it's funny. So Dave Sherapin, former odds maker, going to be joining us in just a few seconds. And first off, I have to tell him as he's listening in program right now. I don't know if we have him ready yet. But I was concerned because he's had he had a rough year last year and I was concerned that Dave wasn't here. But now that I see him on the screen with his stadium swim hat on, which means that he was at Circa yesterday and I think he was watching the fight, now I don't even feel bad. I felt so concerned for him for the last, I don't know, five, six minutes that he was late to the show. And here's Dave Sherapan, the former odds maker himself, joining us, which means that you must have had a really really rough night last night. It's incredible. First of all, I'm fighting allergies like you would not believe. I was out all day yesterday. I'm old. 
it's taken me a little bit of time to recover, but there's so much stuff in the air right now. I got the kids home from school. There's a lot of chaos working right now up here in the Hamptons, which was what I call the house. So I'm just happy to be here. I apologize for my tardiness. That fight was incredible last night. That fight was mm. incredible. It was it was a big event. And for the first time since he started this thing, I feel okay about Paul doing what he's doing. Because up until this point, I thought it was it was damaging boxing. I thought it was damaging, you know, betting on boxing. And I got to tell you, like, it was somewhat legit. I was waiting for Woodley to throw a few more punches, but it was awesome. It was fun. I can't believe we're talking about this fight, but if we're going to do it, we'll do it. Jake Paul winning by split decision over Tyron Woodley. That line, Dave, though, I wanted your thoughts on how that was set because Jake Paul was the favorite at minus 188 on FanDuel. Tyron Woodley plus 146. What did you make of that line? I was discussing it with a friend. I said, don't be a sucker. That's a trap line. Don't just take Tyron Woodley because he is the professional fighter. What did you make of the line that was set? So I was sitting at the book with the guys. I was there I was there the whole weekend, off and on. And I was asking them the same thing. I'm like, this is a setup, right? Like this this feels like one of those things where everybody's gonna bet the dog and the dog's not gonna win. <laughs> and 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 you you saw it. I was in the room, it was packed. It was wall to wall people, it was it was a lot of fun. Ninety-five percent of the people had Woodley tickets. And those of us that were sitting there with Jake Paul tickets, it's a little bit embarrassing, uh, you know, but a winner's a winner. You just kind of, you're, you're actually betting on the heel, but you're betting on the favorite, and the books did that. And anyone that took action, I mean, I was watching people bet, they were taking twenty or 30000 aside on bets, and people were bringing bags. Like, there were, there were people betting that yesterday. So there's interest in it. Big fights always have interest, but... Um, yeah, it was, it was a big night for the books. Ooh, big night for the books. That's what the books like to hear, Dave. Now, we just finished up week zero of the college football season. A lot of favorites prevailed. How did the books do after week zero? Well, I week zero almost had zero underdogs cover. And when on zero underdogs cover, it's a bad day for the books. So between the, the favorites covering pretty easily – and the Ravens winning again, which we talked about last time. Like the Ravens, that you just keep making the line in preseason low three, four, and they keep covering. The books got beat up. The books, those were those were um, not good results for the books. But again, the books will be fine. Nobody, there's no sympathy <laughs> for the books. If people need some money to get ready to go into football season and um, you know NFL, which we know is the hardest market to beat. Until the NBA starts, that's a whole nother story. Um, but no, week zero, I, I think it's a lot of hype. Like we all got excited. I even saw some of Ben's videos and all the things and, you know, the mouse and all this stuff. Like it, it's fun, but the games never live up to the billing. Week zero, you're like, oh, I'm excited about UC, UCLA and Hawaii. And then halfway through, you're like, no, I'm not. I'm Ben's not, I'm so not, mad I'm at not you. excited at all. Yeah, it's, it's bad. So, Look at this guy. His phone's ringing. Chaos. I got a lot going on. Nighttime in Pittsburgh is a chaotic time, man. <laughs> That's right now. Dave, 
Right. I, I do have to jump in here, though, because you said none of the games were exciting. None of the games lived up to a billing. Did you watch Nebraska-Illinois? That was the most that Big was Ten the Big Ten game there was. There was a safety on a punt, Dave. Nothing is yes. more Big Ten football than that. But as we get to week one of college football, we'll still see some of those hefty spreads. We'll still see some marquee matchups like Georgia and Clemson. How do you expect the public to approach some of those bigger spreads we have for what we all expect to be better games week one of college football? Oh, there's going to be people laying the wood. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people betting the favorites. It was, it's, it's that easy, right? This always happens. This, this happens the first couple of weeks. The favorites win and cover because the, the oddsmakers are establishing numbers too. So you can't, you can't get it right all the time. And a lot of times you put up 24 and, you, and you know, they lay it, they lay it, they win by 35. So I, I, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of people laying a lot of big numbers. And they'll probably cover a lot of them. But, you know, give me the big games. I mean, get, give me, you know, and I'm not talking about like Michigan State, Northwestern, Big Ten, Ben. Although we know that's a big game. <laughs> We're not talking about that. We're talking about Penn State, Wisconsin. We're talking about, I mean, you know, the game of the, the, game of the year is Georgia-Clemson. Like, that's going to establish a lot of, you know, future prices are going to be adjusted from that game. That's the most exciting game for me. I can't wait to watch it. Dave, when it comes to giving betters uh, any kind of gambling advice going into week one, especially with such public games like the ones you just mentioned, what would that advice be? Oh, you, you have to really be selective. Like, this is one of those, like, everyone's been waiting to bet football. And all these games are going to be on. And you have all these different – you can start in the West Coast. You start real early in the morning, and you can go until Pac-12 after dark. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You don't have to bet every game. Like UMass and Pitt, maybe not lay the 38. Maybe not – I mean, maybe it's not that easy. Like, you know, you don't have to touch Akron and Auburn as much as you want to and lay that big number. You don't have to. So I think you got to be selective, and I think you have to – kind of as exciting as it is ease into college football betting rather than just start going firing off eight game parlays because you want to have action in the morning and then when that misses and stuff you go in the afternoon and then oh i got to get back game and you know hawaii <laughs> is playing again so you, you got to just be careful and like just ease into all of it and then don't do teasers just don't do college football teasers it's, there's no there's no use there's no key numbers in college so, just don't do don't do college football teasers. <laughs> we only have a minute left, so Dave, I just want a quick thought. Uh, going into Major League Baseball playoffs, NFL season starting, college football starting, how do you how should betters really allocate their money in about thirty seconds? Um, pick what you like. Don't follow the crowd, and just bet the Yankees. Like seriously, what are, what are people doing? Just bet the Yankees. I mean, I'm going that's over that, today. Over, they're in Anaheim. Okay. They've got the there Angels. Go. 
I like that. Angels, like that. most yeah. home overs in baseball this year, cashing in at 67%. Dave Sharapin, you're cashing in at 95% today. You did make it onto the show, so thanks for coming on. Dave Sharapin, catcher at Sportsbook Conciliary on Twitter. We'll see you again. Your wife called. She wants. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Segment on the morning after on Sports Grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time for our best bets of the day. Let's get to to bet to us part. The San Diego Padres are road favorites at the Arizona Diamondbacks. Go figure. The left-handed pitcher on the mound for Arizona is Tyler Gilbert, whose strikeout prop is four and a half. The under is juiced to minus 140, which I don't mind because I'll take anything below a minus 150. The San Diego Padres have the second lowest strikeout rate in baseball. Uh, That's on the road. The fourth lowest overall in baseball and the ninth lowest K rate against left-handed pitchers. Gilbert this year has not gone over the number of four and a half in more than one start in his one, two, three, four, five, six starts as a uh, as an Arizona Diamondback. He has gone over this number one time. In fact, he's averaging just over two strikeouts per game against teams with a bottom 10K rate against lefties. I'm going to take the under four and a half strikeouts on Tyler Gilbert today of the Arizona Diamondbacks against the Slam Diego Padres. Ben, where are you going? The Padres need to start winning some games, especially if they're going to catch the team in my TB'd up best bet of the day, that being the Cincinnati Reds, because Cincy holds a one and a half game lead over San Diego for that second and final NL wildcard spot today. Also a very impactful series opening up against the St. Louis Cardinals. It is home in Cincinnati, home to the fifth highest over percentage in Major League Baseball for the Reds at more than 56%. They also get to face John Lester of the St. Louis Cardinals today, who has a 6-1-5 ERA on the road this year. Since he has the ninth best offense since the All-Star break, it has cooled down slightly over the past two and a half weeks or so, but I think Cincinnati can go over their team total today of five and a half against Leicester and the Cardinals. So Cincy over their team total of five and a half against St. Louis. I like it. A team total and a strikeout prop. Thanks for joining us here on the morning after on Sports Grid. For Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Evstein. We're going to be back tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time, right here on the grid. And we are going to get you ready because there is week one of college football coming up this week weekend stay tuned for all of our great content on the grid see you tomorrow good luck to your bets tonight where you get your information is at least as important as what it is we're your trusted source for gaming odds and strategies trust us when we